Warning, the episode you're about to hear involves gun violence. On August 28, 1996, a simple first date between high school senior Zachary Snar and his friend Yvette Rodier took a horrifying turn. As Zachary was showing his date what he'd recently learned about how to photograph the moon, a complete stranger began shooting at them in an act of senseless violence. Zachary's life was tragically cut short while Yvette miraculously survived. The story surrounding the events of that night was told in a podcast that was released last year by KSL called The Letter. I've never been a big true crime podcast girl, but as my husband and I listened, there was something different about The Letter. There is light, and I believe that light comes because at the end of the podcast's first episode, we hear Zachary Snar's mother on the phone with the man who killed her son. At the end of that call, we hear her say, Love you, George. How could this be? Can someone really love the person who killed their son? When George Benvenuto sent a letter to Cy Snar, he didn't expect forgiveness. He didn't feel he deserved it, but he did want Zach's family to know that he was sorry. What he didn't know is that Cy Snar's heart had been prepared over the 22 years since her son's passing. And when she received the letter from George, who was still serving a prison sentence two decades later, she was ready not only to forgive, but to love. Sai Snar is a proud mother and grandmother whose remarkable witness of the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ is shared in the KSL true crime podcast, The Letter. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am so honored to have Sai Snar on the line with me today. Sai, welcome. Thank you. Well, I have been so inspired by your example, and my husband and I listened to the letter. We absolutely loved it, not because the story is a happy one, but because I feel like your example is just the example of you and your family both is so uh, powerful. And I think it's the kind of story that we we need in the world today. So I'm curious, before we get into to talking a little bit more about your experience and what you've learned from it, first, how would you describe where your faith was at the time of Zach's passing? Well, it wasn't where it is now. I think I would have considered myself a mediocre Mormon, <laughs> quote, unquote, you know, just, you know, you go to church, you do your calling, but, but um, I, I didn't, I don't feel like I was in the gospel then, like I am now. Uh, the experience I've had the last 27, almost 27 years has totally changed my perspective and makes me realize that it's so important just to stay in tune. It's not like, you know, I didn't go to church, I did. But you know how you go to church and you think, okay, that's I've done my thing for the week. <laughs> See you next Sunday, God. You know, and uh, I think I was more that way, and I'm not proud to say that, but I'm I'm just being honest. Well, I appreciate your honesty, and I think it's it's interesting how something like this has the ability to 
turn us more toward God or more away from him. Yep. And so as we as we talk together today, I think people will get a sense for how this experience impacted you and impacted your faith. The the podcast site opens with you recalling a conversation you and Zach had on the day of his passing earlier in the day and he had cleaned up your kitchen. Yes. And you came in and uh, you had a had a conversation with him, but you said that there were things that you wished you had told him in yes. that conversation. And I wondered, I think it's so easy when we're talking about something that's happened that we can't change. It's easy to focus on regret and what we wish we had done differently. So I wondered, what have you learned about regret and forgiving oneself for anything that we wish we'd done differently? Well, let me start by saying, you know, I had two conversations with him that day early in the morning because he came into my room every morning before he'd go to school or to work to tell me he loved me or to tell me I'm the greatest. You know, this is an 18-year-old boy, which I think is amazing. Um, I don't think there's a lot of 18-year-old boys that do that for their mom. But yes, when I came home from work that night, I was in a hurry because I was going to dinner and I just ran into the kitchen and it was just spotless. And he was standing there and I said, who cleaned my kitchen? You know, because I knew I had not left it that clean. And he said, I did it for you, mama. And I said, thanks, Zach. You know, and my regret is that I didn't just stop and tell him, you're the greatest you know, and how much I loved him. I mean, it's like you're always in a hurry. Hurry, got to go here, got to go there. And uh, what's important isn't, you know, a dinner date. What's important is that I take a minute and say, how was your day? You know, what? What's? tell me about your day and what's going on, you know, and uh, just tell him again how much I love him. I, I just learned that you need to tell people you love every time you have a chance that you love them. And, and I regret not doing that. I, I know he knew that I loved him. But, you know, just to have that last chance to say I love you and, and to know that's like the last thing I said to him. But I'm, I've always been grateful. I noticed that he cleaned it. You know, if I hadn't of an, I mean, he, he knew I appreciated it. But I just think you need to take what you need to do is prioritize what's really important in your life. You know, it's it's your family, it's your loved ones. And it isn't like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I missed an opportunity there, I think, to just tell him one more time how much I loved him. So that that is a huge regret of mine that a dinner date was more important than stopping to have a conversation with my son. Well, and I think it's interesting how so many of us can have little interactions like that, where we replay it in our minds and what we could have done differently. But I also love the thing I love about that story. And I love that the podcast starts out with it is what a good kid. He was, he, he still is. I'm sure he was so special. Okay. Sai, you, you talk about, and this is, I think the, the podcast does such a good job of giving us a taste of 
how angry and bitter your family felt after this and how could you not? It would be impossible not to feel those feelings. But I wondered how would you describe personally the anger and bitterness that you felt after Zach's death and why was working through those feelings necessary and and how how did you see how those types of feelings can hold us back if we allow them to stay with us? Well, I was at first just in such shock, you know, kind of denial that this has actually happened. But and the comforter was with, with us at first with me, and I really felt that. And it got me through those first hard days. It got me through the funeral. But I, I knew the second the comforter left me, I knew it. And I hit rock bottom. I was in such a dark, dark place. I was devastated to say the least the reality that he really wasn't coming home had set in and I was so depressed and grieving but I I just had so much anger in me that it had even happened I was angry at George obviously for doing it I was angry at God because I knew he could have stopped it I'm just being honest here. I'm going to be totally honest. Yes, but I, please. But I, I, I knew that uh, I, I just thought, why didn't you stop this? Why you could have stopped this? Why didn't you? You know, I could not understand how something that awful could happen to Zach. And I just, you know, so many people tried to help me and they would tell me how you need to forgive him. You're, you know, that, that's what you have to do. Well, I seriously wanted to scratch their eyeballs out when they said that to me. Like, no, I don't, and I won't. I'll never forgive him. I don't want to forgive him. I hate him. I I can't, I wish I knew how many times I said those words, I hate him, because I said it to everybody, how much I hated him for taking Zach away. And I just, there was no light in my life. I wasn't allowing it in. And it was, that was on me. Um, I didn't, I didn't really turn to God because I was angry at him and the whole world. I was angry at other mothers who had their 18-year-old sons, and I know it's totally irrational, but I, I can't describe, it's hard to describe the depth of my hatred and anger at that time. Um, and I I just didn't think I'd ever be happy again. Honestly, I thought, I will never be happy again. How can I be happy when a big part of my heart is gone? You know, and, and I was that way for a long, long time. But then you... I just started realizing how I could see what I was doing to my family. I had three other kids that were everything to me too. You know, I loved just as much as I loved Zach and I could see what I was doing to them. And I knew, I knew that I had to pull myself out of that. And, and I had to work through that anger, um, especially towards God, because I needed to turn to him, you know, and, and ask for help and had to humble myself. And I did. And that, that's how have you seen, how have you seen Sai since then? How like allowing that burden to be taken from you allows you to be able to move forward? Well, I, I knew that I had to let it go. And I knew at that point, and this, I'm talking years here. This wasn't like next week or anything. I, I think I finally realized after 15 years that this was destroying me. This, hatred and anger that I carried with me was like this heavy weight on myself you know it was always there always there and 
everywhere I looked, I would see Zach or think of Zach like he he should be doing this. You know, I'd see all his friends going on missions and getting married and boy, that was painful, you know, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't here to do that. And I just, I knew that I had to, to move on. I had to let it go. And I just started praying. I prayed so hard for help because I knew I couldn't do it alone. I knew that I needed a savior to help me, which he had already atoned for that for me. As all I had to do was reach out to him and he was there. And, and I'm not saying, you know, instantly it happened. It didn't. I had to really work hard and struggle through that time. And I'd make some progress and then think of something or see some something or somebody would say something, you know, it brought it all back and I'd get angry all over again. So it's like one step forward and five back. I didn't forgive George for him because I seriously thought I'll never see him. I'll never have, I'll never see him. And I'm doing this for myself because I had become an angry, bitter person. And I didn't like it because I've always been a happy person. And I love doing fun things with people and love my family, being with my family and feeling joy, you know, and I wasn't doing that. And I just thought, I, I want to be that person again. And that's, I had to drag myself out of that dark hole and search for the light. And I found the light. One thing that stood out to me, I, I re-listened to the podcast as I was preparing for this interview. And one thing that stood out to me was when your daughter described how she would describe you prior to Zach's passing. And she described you as larger than life. And I think that, you know, there is that desire to get back to this is, this is who I was before. And I know that I was that, but somehow I, I have to bridge that gap, but it wasn't just you, Cy. At one point, your daughter said that George was not a person. He was an animal. Right. And the attorneys said that they didn't think that they would ever see your family forgive George. At the end of the first episode, we hear you, Cy, tell George that you love him on a phone call. So tell me, how does that even happen? And what makes that type of forgiveness possible? Well, the atonement makes it possible. That's for sure. I give full credit to my Savior for that. I didn't think I would ever be happy again. I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I, we did hate him. We, we hated him. The attorneys knew it. We hated them. We hated anybody who was on that side of the courtroom. That's how bad, how irrational we were. It's so hard to explain it. You have to want to do it. You have to want to do it for yourself. You know, you can you can hate him all you want and all this, but does it hurt him? No, it doesn't. Who you're hurting is yourself. You're destroying yourself. You're destroying your your soul. Really, I just felt like I my soul was tortured. It was broken with this anguish I carried, and I just really had to. The way you do it is. You fight back, you you turn to God, you turn to the Savior, you pray a lot, and let them guide you. You know, I've always been impressed, you know, you don't read about, in the scriptures, you don't read about the Savior hanging out with the good people, you know, the, the, per, the people who were doing everything right. He was always with the sinners and always with the people who needed him most, and he was always there for them. And as, it's just like Laman and Lemuel, how they over and over again would be awful and then ask for forgiveness and then they do it again and then they were forgiven and they'd ask for it again do it again and ask for it again and it just back and forth and 
And I realized, you know, he's always there for you. He never says, no, you've had your chance. It's over. Or, or I think I'd just be done. You know, I, I wouldn't have any hope. It's totally through the atonement. I just had never thought about the atonement until I needed it so badly. When, you know, when this happened and I, I turned to the Savior. So I, Amy Donaldson, who hosted the letter, told me that that you and her were speaking at a some kind of fireside mm-hmm. and that a woman came up and said that or, or multiple women. I can't remember if she said one or more, but she said the the overwhelming response was, I don't understand how you just make a choice to do that. So for those that are like, how do you reach that decision to forgive? How do you get your heart to that place? And I know you said it takes time. It's not like a split second decision, but how, what would you say to those that are like, well, how do you just choose to forgive in that way? Well, you have to want to, (laughs) you have, I wanted, I wanted to be different. I wanted my life back. I wanted to feel joy again. You have to want it. You can't just say, well, I guess I better do it and do it. it. You have to really want it and be sincere about it. I wanted to be happy again. And I knew Zach wanted me to be happy again. And that I, I don't even know what else to say. You just have to decide yourself. No, you can't. Nobody can tell you how you should feel. And I think everybody has the right to mourn the way they need to mourn. And they, I feel like I... Actually, I feel like I was justified in, in my feelings at first because it was horrific. But I, I was tired of carrying the burden and I wanted to change. And I knew to change that I needed to have forgiveness. And, and it happened before I ever, ever got a letter from him. I had forgiven him. And I thought, it's, it's really sad. I can't tell him that I've forgiven him. But I thought he doesn't care. He doesn't. I never thought he cared because he never, ever talked in in the court. He never, he had chances to make statements. He never did. And every chance I got, I did. And I, I let him know how I felt at that time, you know? So he, he knew what, what my feelings were and what our feelings were. He, he knew one of the reasons it took him a while to send the letter. Right. Let me ask you this, Cy. I know that there were a couple of points in which your membership in the church kind of plays into this story. A talk was given in church uh, about forgiveness that that kind of influenced that desire. But talk to me about how your understanding of the gospel and your membership in the church influenced your desire to forgive George. Okay. Well, I a friend in the ward called me on a Sunday morning and said, I'm giving a talk in church today, and I'm, I'm afraid it might upset you. And she told me what it was about. And I said, well, I, I want to hear that, you know. And I I just think it was just a, meant for me to hear that talk because it touched my soul. It, it touched me, and I thought, this is what I want. This is what I want. I want to let this go. I want to forgive. I truly forgive him. And I want to see Zach again. You know, I, I mean, eternal families, that's, that's the big thing for me right here is I, I know that I will see him again. And if I can't forgive, 
then I won't get to be with him where he is because I know, I know that Zach forgave him instantly. I know he did because that was Zach. And, and uh, I've, I had people who had experiences. I didn't because I don't think it was because I wasn't in a good place spiritually, but some people were and they had, had seen him and he told him they knew that he'd forgiven him instantly and that he wanted us to forgive. You know, and, and I wanted to be with him. I wanted to see Zach. I wanted to live with him again. And this talk, I just sat there and I thought, that's what I want. I want to feel that kind of joy again. And that's when I really got serious about striving to do better. Well, I think I love that that story because I think such a classy thoughtful move by the woman giving the talk in church to be sensitive of the fact that you would be there and listening. And that way, when you did hear the talk, you were prepared for it and not caught off guard and able to fill the spirit. I think that's such a, such a good example. Sai, you have lost not just one, but two sons, your, your son, uh, your youngest son. Is that right? Your youngest son? Yes, Levi. Um, Levi passed away from cancer. Yes. And in both cases, you've said that the grief was devastating. But I think it's probably fascinating for you to experience both kinds of grief, a grief in which you can point a finger and and point blame and a, a kind of grief where really the only place to point is God. Yes. So what were the differences for you in the case of having someone to blame for your grief versus not really having that? Well, the difference was by when Levi died, I did not want to ever go into that dark place again by being angry at God. And even though I prayed, begged, basically, I begged, begged my Heavenly Father not to take him. But he did. But I... I never felt that anger towards God again. That helped a lot, although it was so devastating to lose him. I got to say goodbye to him. You know, I I cared for him for 11 months, and I consider it one of the greatest blessings of my life to be able to serve him. He was everything to me, you know. That was my life, was caring for him. And I just thank Heavenly Father that I got to do that, and I got to say goodbye Neither death was easy. There is not an easy way to lose a child, I'll tell you. Levi suffered. He suffered horrifically. But Zach didn't suffer. He didn't suffer. And I'm grateful he didn't because I, I was always afraid. What, what if he was scared? Was he scared? Was he in pain? He was, he was uh, not. <laughs> Any of that, he died instantly. But I didn't get to say goodbye. But I, I did not. I, I was very, very depressed after Levi died, because I felt like he was my reason for being there, you know. He'd been my wife for 11 months. That was my sole purpose was to care for him. And, you know, our daughter was married. Our, our oldest son was married, which was great because, you know, I love their spouses. And they I had grandkids, which was, you know, a huge, huge blessing. They're, they're just everything to us. But Levi was my purpose in life at that time and all of a sudden it was he was gone and I didn't feel like I nobody needed me (laughs) he needed me but nobody else needed me 
and I was very, very depressed, but I was never, I never blamed God. I never blamed him. Speaking of that depression, you talk about in the letter about how after Levi passed away, said you had never understood how someone could want to die, but now you understand having experienced grief and depression and devastation. And I wondered, how would you say that having experienced those things, not just once, but multiple times, has given you empathy for others who struggle or may feel those feelings of despair? I think at one time I just... I just thought, well, it's got to be in their head. You know, it is not in their head. Grief and depression is a physical pain. It is, it is as no different than having a horrible cancer or a horrible illness. It is that real. And people who think, oh, they should just get over it. You know, you can't. You can't just get over it. And there were times where it literally hurt me to breathe. I had a friend who told me once that every breath I took, I was moaning, and I didn't even realize it, but it hurt that bad. And, you know, everybody, there's nobody in this world that doesn't, at some point or another, have to deal with a horrific thing in their life or grief of losing a loved one or something happening, and it's real. And I I just, I think, you know, I hear all these horrible things that are happening, and like all these mass shootings, and I, and I immediately think of those parents of those precious kids that are getting shot, and I can't do anything for them personally, but what I do do is I pray that they will feel God's love and His arms around them, because they're there. He's there with them. But when you're in that much pain, sometimes you just can't feel anything else, and it is so real, and I, I just ache for them. I ache for people that are depressed and anguished and, and dealing with these horrible things. And, and I, like I said, the only thing I can do is, is pray for them. And I do, I pray for them every night. Sai, I want to, if it's okay with you now, I want to kind of shift to your experience with George specifically. And I wondered as you have, so you mentioned earlier that you just thought George wasn't interested in having any kind of conversation and saying anything, but you've gotten to know George very well now. And I wondered what have you learned from him about remorse and restitution? Well, that's, I know, I know how sorry he is. You know, what impresses me now, I mean, I I tried to see him at one point because I just thought surely he wants to say sorry. He's got to be sorry, you know, and and I was approached by this organization where the crime victims can go meet with the perpetrator and they were telling me how great it was in healing. I said, oh, yeah, you know, I want to do that. Well, he didn't. And that, that's one of those big steps back when they told me he wasn't interested. I, I was so angry at him. I thought, he has no right to deny me anything. You know, he right. if, if I want to see him, he should have to sit there. So, And they even said, well, wait, you're really angry about this. And I said, yeah, I'm really angry. <laughs> you know? So that's one of those giant steps backwards that I took for a while. But I just thought he doesn't care. And 
out of the blue. I, you know, I even remember thinking, I wonder if he'd ever just write a letter. But I thought, no, he's not going to do it. But I envisioned in my mind having these conversations with him. That's really quite weird almost. because I And I also envisioned his mother a lot. Well, I thought about her a lot. I always thought about her, his mother and felt so bad for her. And I, I would think in my mind, I would just put my arms around her. And I thought, well, it's never going to happen, you know. And then all of a sudden, here's this letter 22 years later. 22 years. And, and my friend that told me about it uh, said, I was scared to death to tell you because you're doing so much better and I didn't want to upset you. And I just looked at her and said, I have waited 22 years for this letter because I knew that it was going to be an apology or why else would he write? Right. You know, I, I knew it had to be that. But, but I, that the letter itself was so, I thought, very beautifully written. I love the fact that he took full responsibility and said, please don't blame my family. You know, I wasn't raised that way. He was raised in an LDS home. And he took full responsibility. And, and he even said, you know, it's, it took me a long time to realize what I'd done. But I, I just knew how sincere that letter was. And I wrote him back. And I told him that I had gone through his change also. And I told him that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, <laughs> I said those words, you know, that um, I was able to forgive him too. And, and I know people can, people do change. People can change. I changed myself from that horrible, angry, ugly person that I was for so long to being, having joy again, you know, feeling joy and happiness and love for everybody. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I, I know that that's what he's done. I know that he is truly sorry, even though some people, I read some comments on the podcast and I would say 95% of them were very, very positive, but you know, there's those few and I knew, I knew we were going to get blasted about the church. I just, I knew it. And you know, that, well, every prisoner writes stuff like that. And you're, you're letting your son down. You're, you know, he'd be so disappointed in you. And I thought, well, they don't know Zach. He is so happy right now that this has happened. So I, in, in coming to know George as well as you have, what do you think took so long? Why do you think he didn't speak up in court or write sooner? Well, he was barely 19, less than a month of being 19 years old. So he was still just a kid, really, just a young right. kid. I think he was scared to death. He was new to Utah. He, was, he had lived in New York, but he was from Uruguay. And I don't think he trusted anybody. He had been horrifically bullied. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, and he doesn't, he says, that's no excuse. That's no excuse. Everything I would say, he said, no, that's no excuse. Not, nothing excuses what I did, you know, but he didn't believe that we could ever forgive him. He said that he, he was so humbled by our forgiveness. He felt very undeserving of our forgiveness just recently, one of the letters, he told me about an experience he had in prison that some another inmate had set him up to make it look like he had done something, which he hadn't. And so he was put in maximum. And uh, then they figured out that it wasn't him, that it wasn't George, it was this other guy. So they got George out and, and uh, put the other guy where he belonged. <laughs> and George said he, felt, he was so angry at this person. He said, I was so angry. And then he 
then he wrote, do you know what I thought about? I thought about you and Ron forgiving me. And he says, I can forgive anybody. And that really touched my heart that he would say that. He feels very undeserving of it, but grateful. He's, he's very grateful. He said, finally, he feels like he's been able to move on. And by the way, he wrote several letters. He just never had the, he, he said they weren't good enough and he'd tear them up and throw them away and, until he finally wrote that one. He said, I've got to just do it. But he didn't want to just put it in the mail. He wanted it hand-delivered because he wanted to make sure it was, that we would want it. He didn't want to just, you know, have it show up and upset us. And he was very, he put a lot of thought into it. And he was very thoughtful and very concerned for us. He's actually a very, very nice man, very decent man. He He's a good person. He deserves a second chance. He just did a really horrible thing. That the only thing he ever did wrong, and it was huge, really huge. Sai, you and your family—you've gotten to know not just George, and it, it wasn't just a you know a couple of letters back and forth. Um, this has continued on for how long now since you first initially came into contact? Uh, Twenty nineteen is when I got the first letter. Okay. So we write. He calls now if, every week if he's not in, in lockdown. Sometimes if anything at all happens in the prison, even another unit, everybody's in lockdown. Okay. Uh, but he, he usually calls once a week, and I, I enjoy, I look forward to those phone calls, and we still write back and forth. I love the letters. I've saved every one of his letters. I have a stack of them. <laughs> he, he told me he saved every one of my letters, too, so... And you also have gotten to know his family. Tell me a little bit about your interactions with them. Well, I'll tell you, I've never known better people, more wonderful people in my life. I am so grateful to know that family. And and I tell myself, I wouldn't know them if Zach, if Zach hadn't been murdered by George, you know, and yet I'm so grateful to know him. That's kind of like this weird circle thing like but I wouldn't know him you know and yet they are so wonderful we met his brother and his wife and three of his kids first he George had said in a letter he said you know my family for some reason thinks they want to meet you but you don't have to just why don't you just tell them you're traveling or you're busy and I wrote back and I said well I actually would love to meet your family you know and I had actually been writing just writing back and forth to his mother. I hadn't met her personally, but we'd been writing also. And I told him that I'd love to meet his brother's family. So I sent him, well, no, then he wrote back and he said, well, they're coming to Utah at this date. And I, so I sent a letter right back and I said, here's my phone number. You have him call me. And he did call me. He said he would like to meet us. And I said, we'll meet you anywhere. You can come to our home. You can, you know, go to our home in Mount Pleasant. You can, we'll come to... They had a son at BYU, and I said, we can come to Provo, whatever. And he said, well, I'd like to come to your home. And I said, well, are you going to bring your family? He said, well, I'd like to bring my wife, if that's okay. And I said, well, that's great. I'd actually love to meet your whole family. And he, he I think that surprised him a little bit, <laughs> but I meant it. And so they said they were coming, and I said, come for dinner. You know, we had dinner, and I saw him pull up, and I, I was just like, wow, I'm really going to meet his brother. You know, this is this, this is huge. And I just kind of, you know, did some deep breathing and call myself, but I opened that door and here's these people with the most beautiful smiles, this most beautiful family. 
And they came into the house, and I cannot even describe the spirit that was in my home that night. It was incredible. And, and I, I felt it. You know, I felt it, and I didn't want him to leave. And, and when they left, I said to Ron, my husband, I said, did you feel the spirit in our home tonight? And he said, I did. And I just thought, was the Savior here? <laughs> and then I thought, oh, my gosh, Zach was here. Zach was here. That's what I know he was. But it was it's most incredible. I I wished I had that feeling in my home every day. It was that amazing. And it was because these people are amazing and we keep in contact. The, they've been to our place a few times. We've actually gone to their home and visited them. I mean, it was Mother's Day yesterday. I got a really nice message from them. I love them and we really consider them family. And and I'm grateful to have people like them in my family, because they are such examples to me. Just incredible, incredible people. It's amazing. It's such a, my, my heart just listening to you, Sai, feels so full. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think that your story, and you've, you've reiterated this a couple of times, that the reason that this was possible was through the atonement of Jesus Christ. What would you say you've learned about the atonement over the last 30 years? I have learned how powerful the atonement is. And it's there for everyone, every one of us, everyone. I have several times tried to comprehend what the Savior went through for us, for me, you know? I'm putting this on me, what my pain. He has felt my pain, which to me was unbearable at times, truly unbearable, let alone my sins, which, you know, I, nobody's, I, everybody's sins or we wouldn't be here, right? Some of us has bigger sins, some not as big, but, and I think he has felt that of me, but he has felt that for every single person on this earth. And I cannot comprehend what he went through. We went to Israel, Ron and I, a few years ago, and we're there at the Garden of Gethsemane and at the tomb and all these places. And I was so emotional. (laughs) I was so emotional. Just the reality of what he did for us, that he loved us that much, that he would suffer like he did for us. And, And I have such a testimony of the power of the atonement how real it is. And I think we, in a way, we use it every day. I do. And I'm just so grateful. And I just feel like when you ask what I what was like before Zach's death, I can honestly say, even though, you know, we were married in the temple and all this, but I didn't feel like I, I, don't, I can't say that I had a personal relationship. I didn't feel like I did with Heavenly Father or the Savior, but I feel like I do now. I feel like I know them because I've allowed myself to know them. And what a blessing that's been. There's just a purpose in everything. And some of it's hard to understand. Someday I will, probably not this life, (laughs) but someday I will. And, And I had a friend who told me once, it was after Levi died too, and I was at my lowest point ever. And she said, you know, Sai, someday I really think you're going to fall to your knees in gratitude for what you've been through, because you'll see why. And I've thought about that a lot. Would I ever really feel gratitude 
for losing my two youngest sons, you know, but maybe I will. I don't know. I just realized there are no coincidences. I don't, I don't believe in coincidence. I think there's a reason everything happens and how people are put into your lives. And I'm just grateful for all of it at this point. I'm grateful for the love and support we've received from so many people over the years. Strangers, family, friends, his family. You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful. I feel so blessed. And I'm so grateful for the Savior. So grateful to him every day of my life for what he did for me. Well, I think that is so powerful. And one of the reasons that I think that I was talking to a friend uh, last week and she said that she feels like being a mother and giving birth is the closest that we come to experiencing any taste of what the Savior experienced. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And so then hearing a mother talk about losing her sons, but expressing gratitude for the atonement, I think is particularly poignant. And and I'm grateful to you for sharing your, your witness of that. I wondered, Sai, on the letter, you obviously tell your story. And I think you all did a great job of telling a story that is a story of faith in a way that it can touch a secular audience. But I wondered, is there anything you would say here, knowing that you're speaking directly to an audience of people of faith that may not have been said in the letter? Yeah, well, what I just said about uh, my feelings about the atonement, my testimony of it, I was very careful in the letter not to be too much that way because I knew that we'd be criticized. Right. Um, I've, I've experienced that just out with people, you know, a lot of people criticize the LDS faith and I, I didn't want it to be one that's criticized because it's a, a very tender, um, tender and hard, but yet beautiful thing that we've been through is a spiritual experience and it took me a long time to realize that it was a spiritual experience (laughs) but I just think I just know how much God loves all of us and after Zach died Levi really hit rock bottom you know he was just they were so close all all four of my kids were very close and, and loved each other did things together but Levi was just 15, and he was, after a while, he tried so hard at first just to be like Zach, but then he just hit rock bottom and did some things that weren't great and wasn't living the life that I would hope he would, but he was partying and, you know, just stuff like that. And I I thought, you know, did I ever not love him because of it? No. (laughs) I loved all of my kids the same, but I think when Levi was in that very dark place and doing all these things that he shouldn't have been, I think I loved him more fiercely. Fiercely. I was, and I thought that's, I think that's how God feels about us. The ones that stray, the ones that have problems, I think he, in a way, loves us more fiercely. Because they say our love's nothing compared to what God's love is for us, which is hard to comprehend too, because as soon as you hold that baby, you're going to know what I'm talking about, the love you have for your children. You know, there's just, it's just a bit of heaven right there. 
the greatest blessing having these kids and and I think and God loves us that much and and I think that's what I would say is just my testimony of of the Savior's love of God's love of the atonement and what a just what a great package we've been given that is there for us just for us taking it and asking for it it's always there for us I completely agree Sai, it has been such a blessing for me to have the chance to learn from you even more. My last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To be all in, I think, is just trusting in the Lord, trusting what He has mapped out for us. Maybe it's a good thing we don't know what's ahead of us. (laughs) I think that is a good thing, but just trusting in Him and, I think, love I think that's the center of our religion. I learned that from my husband. That's his main thing. He says the gospel is just love. You just love everybody. I think that's true. It's all in is is loving people, serving people, accepting people, and eternal families. To me, that's what it's all about. That's why I'm all in. Thank you so much, Sai. It has been it's been so great to to talk with you and you are just you have such a light about you. So thank you for sharing that with me. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. We are so grateful to Sai Snar for joining us on today's episode. If you'd like to hear the full story of Sai's experience, which we didn't even scratch the surface of today, be sure to listen to KSL's The Letter, which is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode, and thank you for listening.